Kanye, Kyrie, and the Continuum of Anti-Semitic Violence By Jonah Ben Abraham Over the last several weeks, activists have debated whether deplatforming Kanye West, aka Yee, over his multiple and ongoing anti-Semitic rants would prevent or stoke the wave of anti-Semitism that Jewish activists feared would follow his comments. We have now been overtaken by the facts on the ground. Kanye West, and more recently the prominent basketball player Kyrie Irving, should be sharply criticized and deplatformed as part of a broader struggle against the far-right and ruling class individuals and institutions which systematically perpetuate racism and anti-Semitism. West, Irving, and their supporters in the conservative political and media establishments have already produced irreversible changes in the political dynamics facing Jews in the United States and the collective struggle for liberation. Tens of thousands have tweeted out the hashtag hashtag I stand with Kyrie, and the anti-Semitic film Irving recommended on social media has become an Amazon bestseller. As of Friday, phrases like the Jews and Zionists were being mentioned in 5,000 tweets per hour, and Kanye continues to post photos of Jewish people who he feels have harmed him, each garnering tens of thousands of sympathetic responses. While many of these engagements carry on the theme present in both West's and Irving's comments that they can't be anti-Semitic, it is overwhelmingly clear that this is a semantic argument structured to sanction anti-Jewish prejudice, oppression, and violence on the grounds that anti-Jewish oppression is fine and justified, and unrelated to the mystified nonentity called anti-Semitism. Takes like the following abound, quote, calling white Jews out on, how they control everything is not anti-Semitic, end quote. This claim, Jews control everything, is a rather concise, clear restatement of precisely the entire ideology of anti-Semitism. Without agreement on this fundamental point, it is clear that West's and Irving's apologists seek not only a redefinition of anti-Semitism, but its abandonment as a meaningful category altogether. No amount of anti-Jewish prejudice or belief in anti-Semitic myth can transgress the imagined boundary between fact-based critique of a monolithic the Jews and anti-Semitism proper. Granted, the argument which effectively claims I'm not an anti-Semite, I just hate Jewish people is not quite as bold as the anti-Semitism common in the first decades of the 20th century. But in comparison to the Overton window on Jewish politics prior to 2016, that is, the positions considered to be within the mainstream, or at least tolerable, this kind of rhetoric marks a serious escalation. Over the past several years, the far right has re-embraced the politics of anti-Semitism under a thin veil of dog whistles, illusions, and plausible deniability. They have ushered in the return of political conspiracism, the great replacement theory, the nationalist-slash-cosmopolitan dichotomy, fear of the outside agitator, and resentment of cultural degeneracy, in short, every one of anti-Semitism's political, social, and philosophical contributions without genocidal or otherwise explicitly prejudiced rhetoric. One of the more frightening dynamics that has emerged over the rapid succession of incidents of anti-Semitism in recent weeks is that they have explicitly challenged even these limited restrictions on the open expression of anti-Semitism. They take aim not at globalists or George Soros, but at Jews, per se. They balk at anti-Semitism, but endorse anti-Jewish prejudice explicitly, claiming that their anti-Jewish attitudes are simply based on fact or experience. And already, we are seeing these challenges bear fruit in the political sphere. 
First, a bevy of right-wing politicians came out in support of Kanye, explicitly making connections between the everyday anti-Semitism of the Republican Party and Kanye's more explicit anti-Semitism. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita tweeted that Kanye's anti-Semitic screed on Tucker Carlson tonight was fair and accurate, before clarifying that he was not critical of all Jews, only the media and Hollywood elites. Two days later, Tulsi Gabbard left the Democratic Party, saying that the party, quote, is now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness, end quote. Trump posted that people of the Jewish faith needed to be more appreciative of the far right, before it is too late. Elon Musk has repeatedly dabbled in tongue-in-cheek anti-Semitism since Kanye's initial outburst. After West was banned from Instagram, Musk welcomed him back to Twitter without comment on the anti-Semitism that brought him there. Musk later tweeted a cryptic meme of a Nazi soldier, before encouraging his audience to vote Republican in the midterm elections. The GOP's House Judiciary account tweeted Kanye. Elon. Trump. In the weeks since the first round of support for Kanye, the GOP's far right has pushed the limits further. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake named Mel Gibson as one of her favorite actors specifically because he had been canceled and made movies that hadn't gone so woke. Mel Gibson, of course, was canceled for calling Jewish actress Winona Ryder an oven dodger and telling police that, quote, the Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world, end quote. Newsmax ran an interview with former CBS correspondent Lara Logan where she advocated a spiritual battle against Satan's stooges, naming Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari and the World Economic Forum, calling them the ones who want us eating insects, cockroaches, and that while they dine on the blood of children. After the Anti-Defamation League criticized Elon Musk for supporting Kanye and promising to lessen Twitter's restrictions on hate speech, Ted Cruz tweeted, It's sad. At ADL used to combat anti-Semitism. Now they are just a wholly-owned subsidiary of the DNC. In Pennsylvania, far-right gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano repeatedly fielded anti-Semitism accusations over his campaign's cooperation with far-right social media website Gab, his general Christian nationalist politics, and his attacks on Democratic nominee Josh Shapiro for sending his children to a Jewish day school. In response, Republicans have suggested that Shapiro, as a secular Jew, isn't Jewish enough to charge anti-Semitism. This argument caught on, mirroring Kanye's sanctioning of anti-Semitism on the basis that Jewish people aren't the real Jews and therefore cannot claim to be victimized by anti-Semitism. A number of right-wing figures including former Breitbart editor-in-chief Raheem Kassam and former Trump counsel Jenna Ellis suggested that the 91% of Jews who are not Orthodox are not real Jews, and that we need not examine attacks on them as cases of anti-Semitism. These rhetorical moves at the top of the right-wing political infrastructure have of course been matched by street-level attacks from the far right. So far, the Goyam Defense League has done a mass flyering and banner drop in support of Kanye and of explicit anti-Semitism in Los Angeles, a fascist has set fire to a pride flag on someone's house and given a Nazi salute to their security camera, a QAnon adherent has attempted to assassinate the Speaker of the House, the slogan Kanye is right about the Jews has been projected at a major college football game, and social media threats have forced the FBI's Newark field office to issue a Warning of a credible threat to synagogues in New Jersey.
For decades, Jews have been the last group that Republicans could use to claim they aren't a group fully devoted to bigotry. As the Republican Party has evolved into a full participant in the ascendant neo-fascist international, they, like their post-Nazi comrades from Hungary, to France, to Italy, have cynically used their support for the ethnic cleansing of Palestine to retain their liberal democratic credentials in a post-civil rights United States, which claims to care about that sort of thing. The discrepancy between their rhetorical treatment of Jews from that of Muslims, for example, has led many on the left to accept the right's plausible deniability at face value. Jewish grievance in particular must continually overlook the support coming from the state, here and in Israel, in order to justify its cries of neglect, while for many other groups, the state is the source of harm. In what sense is the state not the source of harm when anti-Semitic mobs are being ginned up by agents of the state throughout the three branches of every level of government? Because of this perspective, much of the left has missed the mark. Max Blumenthal wrote, quote, Kyrie and Kanye do not threaten American Jews in any concrete way, end quote. This is clearly false. We are living through one of the deadliest periods of Jewish history in the United States as far as anti-Semitic violence is concerned. The conspiracy theories espoused by Irving and West have already been cited as an inspiration for multiple deadly attacks. It is true that even when it finds political expression as black nationalism, anti-Semitism is rooted, in the final instance, in the white supremacist and Christian hegemonic organization of U.S. American social, political, and economic life. But this does not mean, as many on the left have suggested, that the real injustice of this whole episode is the disproportionate response to the anti-Semitism of black celebrities when compared to the response to white political figures. No doubt, racism has mediated the general cultural response to Kanye. But the tragedy is not the so-called cancellation of Kanye or Kyrie, it is our failure to respond as forcefully to the anti-Semitism of all the other anti-Semites named in this article. Kanye and Kyrie's defenders have charged that critics of the pair are not actually interested in combating anti-Semitism, but shoring up their own social position at the expense of black people as evidenced by the lack of meaningful consequences for Tucker Carlson, who knowingly platformed and curated Kanye's anti-Semitism, or for Jeff Bezos, who profits directly from sales of the documentary that Kyrie recommended. In a sense, they are right, neither the Jewish defense agencies, nor the Democratic Party, nor the media have shown an appetite for applying the kind of overwhelming pressure against anti-Semites in power as they have against anti-Semites proximate to power. In the context of the specific claims made by Kanye, however, that Jews are using their imagined racial power to silence him as a truth-teller, we must be wary that an acknowledgement of the hypocrisy of the most powerful, wealthy critics of anti-Semitism does not become a detour away from confronting anti-Semitism, or even worse, become a tacit endorsement of West and Irving's views. Many commentators attempting a nuanced discussion of endorsements of Nazi propaganda have shown no such care. Things are getting markedly worse for Jews in the United States. The taboo of anti-Semitism, particularly in the political sphere, is crumbling. 45% of U.S. Americans, including 81% of white evangelicals, think that the United States should be a Christian nation. Tucker Carlson preaches the anti-Semitic Great Replacement to a TV audience of millions and Republican candidates accuse Jews of buying Congress and run attack ads showing Jews clutching at money, 
emphasizing their more Jewish-sounding names, and elongating their noses. Mike Lindell, Eric Trump, and Roger Stone are all currently touring with a convention at which vendors are handing out recommended reading lists, including the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. The ruling class Jewish defense agencies, chief among them the Anti-Defamation League, have been useless to stop this. They have chosen to embrace the anti-Semites, passing their own political power off as communal safety, thus when Trump told a room full of Jews that they were negotiators and brutal killers. Not nice people at all, the Anti-Defamation League defended him. Despite Elon Musk's clear anti-Semitic sympathies, ADL CEO Jonathan Greenblatt called him favorably the Henry Ford of our time a truly remarkable compliment from Greenblatt given that Ford was perhaps the most influential anti-Semite in this country's history. At the same time, much of the left, including the Jewish left, has remained in denial of these developments, Jews are implicated symbolically in right-wing politics but not materially, wrote Jewish activists Donna Navel and Mark Sangputterman in 2019. The combination of these two responses is precisely what has allowed the current wave of common-sense anti-Semitism to take hold. Whether because we have to strategically overlook Republican anti-Semitism, or because we are in denial about the significance of the right-wing embrace of thinly-veiled anti-Semitism, the only people who end up being held accountable for anti-Jewish statements and behavior are those outside of the power structures most directly enabling and supporting anti-Jewish politics and violence. While these leftists would prefer that even these instances of accountability not take place, their punting of responsibility for the fight against hegemonic, ruling-class anti-Semitism has in part produced the recurrent spectacles of condemning black celebrities for anti-Semitic statements. Anti-Semitism's roots are not among the exploited and oppressed, this point is obvious to Kanye's and Kyrie's supporters, as it has been for black radicals since Baldwin. But the struggle against anti-Semitism often ends up being a struggle brought to bear only against its manifestations among those subaltern groups. Because the hegemonic critique of anti-Semitism is just that, a hegemonic force, challenges to this critique, even anti-Semitic challenges, can appear counter-hegemonic when the struggle against anti-Semitism is not, in the first instance, directed at its actual roots in ruling class ideology. This is why so many supporters of West and Irving, including those on the right, voice their support as being in favor of speaking truth to power. The fact that Kanye's interlocutors are power makes the truth of his arguments superfluous, and indeed, allows would-be anti-racists to find common ground with ludicrous Nazi propaganda. While some on the left have expressed concern at the prospect of martyring Kanye and Kyrie, it is ultimately a good thing if, in the future, celebrities feel less comfortable sharing their anti-Semitism in public. No amount of discretion shown in responding to anti-Semitism will convince the anti-Semites that their Jewish overlords are actually swell guys after all and the prominence of this position among the more nationalist and class-reductionist elements of the left should be met with suspicion. Granted, the political theater of imposed Holocaust museum visits and shakedowns from Jubilong do nothing but reaffirm the legitimacy of white supremacist, ruling-class Jewish institutions, but socialists should support Kyrie Irving's suspension, as well as any and all efforts to deplatform Kanye West, particularly given that both have positioned themselves over several years to become far-right influencers. While anti-Semitism by name may remain taboo for a while longer, 
anti-Jewish resentment has thoroughly reasserted itself as an acceptable, if brash, part of U.S. American political culture. The left cannot confront this dynamic so long as we remain apologetic about our militant struggle against this plank of white supremacy. About the author Jonah Ben Abraham is a socialist and anti-fascist activist in Columbus, Ohio. He is a member of the Tempest Collective.